0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. I'm Alicia here, awesome to have you with me. And we have lots and lots to cover today. So let's get right into it. We have a bunch of updates and improvements and things that might be useful to you. The first is in the realm of voice and voice is obviously something a lot of people are using and integrating into their apps. If you have a WordPress blog, you might be interested that there is now an Amazon Poly plugin for WordPress. So this means you can now add text to speech capability to your written content. So this means you can embed it on your uh, WordPress site and get immediate access to Poly and have it convert all the content on your site effectively so that people can listen to it on the go and uh, in other ways if they need to, which is pretty cool. Speaking of text. Amazon Polly now supports the new phonation tag. This allows you to create softer speech, or should I say softer speech? And uh, this is part of the speech synthesis markup language, SSML. Try and say that three times fast. And so you can apply this to any of the Amazon Polly voices. So this adds a lot more richness to the communication because, as you know, that uh, when a human being is speaking, they have richness and tone in their voice. And so Polly has some new tricks where uh, it can indicate those types of uh, speech patterns using ssml similarly amazon connect which is our on-demand call center software allows you to now have uh, ssml support for amazon lex chatbots so if you're using connect in the us east northern virginia region then you'll have access to amazon lex and amazon connect services together now you can have ssml applying to the lex chatbots so again you can do a lot more modification of how lex sounds as well You can also now respond in Amazon Lex using SSML in the text response. So you can use that to pass on to other systems, other engines, as well as embedding into the actual audio response that you may have from Lex. So lots of nuance being added to the voice services there. And if you've been uh, happily building chatbots using Amazon Lex, then some more good news for you. You can now export and import your Amazon Lex chatbot schema to make it easier to replicate your chatbot for development and deployment. So now what you can do is you can export and import it as a JSON file. Now the JSON configuration file will have the structure of your Amazon Lex chatbot. So it has the intent schema, the utterances, slots, prompts, slot types, the whole shebang. Basically what you can do is once you export that schema file, you can modify it and reimport reimport it I should say into the same account or you can put it into a different account. So this means you can use it for moving through your development pipeline or deploying your chatbot to a different region as well. So this gives you more flexibility in terms of where and how you deploy. Now, one of my favorite services is of course, Amazon DynamoDB, and it has always supported the uh, very strong set of security controls such as TLS endpoints, encryption in transit, a client side library for end-to-end encryption, various fine-grained access controls, and now it supports server-side encryption at rest. So this allows you to use the Amazon or AWS key management service, KMS, and it drives encryption at rest fully transparent to the user with all DynamoDB queries working seamlessly on encrypted data. So this is really nice because often when you implement encryption, you add complexity. In this case, you don't need to. It's now generally available in EU Ireland, US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, and US West Oregon at no extra cost. Uh, If you use the KMS encryption key usage, there are some charges for that, but the actual function on DynamoDB has no extra cost. And it is available for all new DynamoDB tables. Also backups of encrypted DynamoDB tables are also fully encrypted. So not just the production version, but any backups you may take as well. And certainly that'll roll out to more uh, regions as it goes. Speaking of new regions, we now have uh, support for the Amazon DynamoDB Accelerator or DAX in the Asia-Pacific Singapore region and the Asia-Pacific Sydney region as well. We also now have SDK support for Python.net and support for T2 instances as well. So lots and lots of capability to be able to deploy this cache-based model on top of DynamoDB. And basically, if you have a very particularly read-heavy workload, DAX is a fully managed, highly available in-memory cache for DynamoDB. And it delivers up to a 10x performance improvement. So basically taking you from milliseconds to microseconds, even at really high request rates. So it's something that makes a lot of sense if you're using DynamoDB already and you have a workload that suits it, you should get onto it. And it's now available in far more regions as well. Another service that's really handy to get rid of undifferentiated heavy lifting is Amazon Cognito. This is a user management service that allows you to manage things like um, logons, validations, metadata, etc. And many customers have said, hey, this is great, except I'm using something at the moment that I built myself or a third-party tool I'd like to move across more easily. So now what we have is the ability to simplify your user migration. Essentially what happens is when a user signs into your existing application, Amazon Cognito can check if a user already exists in your user pool. And if not, it lets you call a Lambda function to copy the user profile data from your existing application directory into your Amazon Cognito user pool and you can customize the steps for all this as well. Now what this means is you can have a gradual migration process rather than a big bang migration process and not leave any customers behind as you do the user migration process. This is available today in all AWS regions where Amazon Cognito is available, which makes it nice and easy to get your application up and running and migrated. Now let's talk containers. Lots is happening in the world of containers these days and it's almost hard to keep up sometimes but uh, some new features and capabilities that might be useful to you. Firstly, Amazon ECS adds a new endpoint to let you access task metrics and metadata. Now in the past, you would actually access the EC2 instance that was running uh, your ECS cluster. Now you can query metadata and Docker statistics directly from a HTTP endpoint using a RESTful API call for tasks using the AWS VPC network mode. This makes it very easy for you to query metadata and statistics. Now, this is a new capability, but it's available in a vast number of regions, and it'll grow over time as well, so take a look at the documentation for the best way to take advantage of that. Now, another container-related technology is something called AWS Fargate. Now, this is a technology for Amazon ECS that lets you run containers without having to manage servers or clusters. Basically, Amazon ECS schedules the containers and Fargate handles the provisioning and scaling of the required compute resources to run them. So makes it nice and easy. So the good news is that AWS Fargate now meets the criteria for ISO, PCI, SOC 1, SOC 2 and SOC 3 compliance, as well as the criteria for HIPAA eligibility. So what does this mean? This means you can now use AWS Fargate to process regulated financial data or protected health information, PHI. So this gives you lots more options in terms of the workloads you use Fargate for. And another nifty change for container-based workloads is target tracking for container service auto-scaling in the Amazon ECS console. So what this means is you can now set target tracking policies for your containerized services directly from the ECS console. This means you specify a load metric. So it could be average CPU utilization, request count per target, et cetera, and set the value that you want that target to be. And auto scaling will adjust the number of running tasks for your service to maintain the target value. So rather than using more uh, coarse grained step scaling policies, this makes it a lot easier for you to get up and running and scaling very, very effectively. Okay. It's time for your regular reminder. If you haven't got your CloudTrail switched on your account, then this would be the time to do it. AWS CloudTrail, of course, logs API calls made to your account so you can see what's going on, who did what and when and from where. And AWS Shield is now integrated with AWS CloudTrail. So Mm -hmm. API calls to AWS Shield will be reflected in those log files as well. You should always have it switched on on all your accounts and just make use of it. Now, if you play online games, no doubt you've come across the concept of game matching where you sit at the console waiting to be matched into a game. And Amazon GameLift has this capability which is called Flex Match, which is the ability to dynamically match make people who want to enter a multiplayer experience. Now, there is a new feature available now which is called backfill functionality. What this allows you to do is basically if you have players that drop during a game, you can add new players in automatically based upon what you want. So you can set criteria around the um, experience of the player, the uh, location of the player, lots of other uh, criteria, really it's a very complex world that I don't pretend to understand. I just play the games, I don't do the matchmaking. Uh, but essentially what you can do is you can group players together in a way that gets the best balance of match quality and player wait time for you. Really, really sophisticated, really, really handy way to do it. Available in 14 AWS regions and it supports all major game engines, including Amazon Lumberyard, the Unreal Engine Unity and custom C++ and C Sharp game engines. The other nice thing, is that uh, Amazon Gamelift has introduced Fleet IQ and Spot instances. And we all know that I love Spot, and this helps you reduce instance costs by up to 90%. So now what you can do is you can place your Gamelift queues uh, onto game servers based on player latency, instance price, and spot interruption rates. So what this means is you can choose how and when things are deployed based upon performance, location criteria, and also price, this means you can get big time savings for what you're doing already. So a nice feature to turn on if you're using this already. There have been lots of new service availabilities in different regions. And uh, one thing I've tried not to do in the podcast is kind of give you a laundry list of all the regions that all new things have come out into because there is a really great infrastructure page you can look at and see what's available in your specific region. However, it's also worth to mention things from time to time just to remind you that things are rolling out and what's available. Uh, we have uh, some new AWS Direct Connect sites in both Paris and Taipei. So these are additional locations that you can use uh, to create a connection between your existing infrastructure and the AWS region or regions of your choice. These direct connect locations provide a really cost-effective way for customers to connect into the Amazon backbone network. Also, inter-region VPC peering is now available in nine additional AWS regions. Now inter-region VPC peering is super exciting because when we released VPC peering within the same region, that already revolutionized many of the architectures that our customers would build. Inter-region VPC peering, of course, takes it that next level up. So it is now available in AWS EU London, EU Ireland, EU Paris, Asia-Pacific Mumbai, Asia-Pacific Sydney, Asia-Pacific Singapore, Asia-Pacific Tokyo, Canada Central, and South America Sao Paulo. It's also already was available in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Northern California, and US West Oregon. So lots of inter-region VPC peering to be had, that's for sure. These days when you use AWS, you're probably uh, very familiar with seeing things like EC2 resource IDs, the resource IDs on Amazon EBS, et cetera. Uh, They just sort of swing past your eyes and you just see them and assume they are what they are. Now the current format is a resource identifier followed by an eight character string. Well, In December, 2017, we announced that Amazon EC2, Amazon EBS and AWS Storage Gateway resources will have longer identifiers. This allows us to support the ongoing growth of AWS, make sure that we can have enough address space to address all these new resources. So from now until the end of June, 2018, you can test your systems with the longer format and opt in when you are ready. Now, after June, 2018, all new resources will be created with the longer IDs by default. It'll only be applied to newly created resources, but it's really important you test and make sure you can support this because we're moving from an eight character string to a 17 character string. Now it'll be the same resource identifier. However, the number of characters in the string is significantly increased, meaning that growth can be accounted for, which is nice. If you like using GraphQL or have been interested in using GraphQL, then AWS AppSync is probably a service that leapt to your attention when it was originally announced. Now, it's been in preview for a little while with whitelist approvals. The whitelist approval has been removed, so it's still in preview, but it is now available to any users without whitelisting. The other nice thing that I really like, though, is there is now an auto-generate GraphQL schema and resolver capability from existing Amazon DynamoDB tables without any coding. So this is pretty nifty. You can now automatically query your DynamoDB table using GraphQL capability without doing any work, which is kind of interesting. So something to play with if this is a technology you're interested in, and it's also available in more locations than ever before. So it's now available in EU West 1, Ireland, AP Northeast 1 Tokyo, AP Southeast 2 Sydney, as well as US East 1, US East 2, and US West 2 as well. So lots of things to play with there. Certainly that integration with DynamoDB I think is pretty interesting. Another service a lot of customers use is AWS Config, which tracks changes in your environment. Well, now it supports AWS WAF rule groups. So AWS WAF is application web application firewall that lets you protect your web applications, funnily enough, from exploits. And let's face it, those exploits are getting more, not less these days. So having really good rules is very important to track what's going on in your environment and what you're protecting from. AWS Config can now track when there are changes to those rule groups so you can see what changes took place and to make sure that things are as they should be. And as well as creating your own rules, you should also remember that you can actually purchase product-based rules for AWS WAF. These are called managed rule products. And there are now three new products available from F5 networks to protect you against uh, vulnerability scanners, web scrapers, DDoS, uh, CV exposures, the OWASP top 10, etc. So now we have six different sellers who provide rules for AWS WAF. These include F5 networks in Perva, Fortinet, Trend Micro, Alert Logic, and Trustwave, and fourteen managed rule products that you can subscribe to either via the AWS Marketplace or directly from within the AWS WAF console. Now, why this is important is in many organisations they already have a provider who provides this kind of capability, and having a consistent set of rules on their existing estate as well as their new environment in AWS can be important. This allows you to have the exact same rule set but deployed on the AWS WAF. Uh, engine rather than on the on-premises infrastructure as well. Now, this week, we're talking a lot about security things, capabilities, tools, etc. Really taking a very active posture to your security environment is the way to go. It's not just about having perimeter defense. It's about security in depth and having constant monitoring and a response to security issues. Good news is Amazon Inspector now supports Windows Server 2016. So this allows you to run security assessments for common vulnerabilities and exposures and runtime behavior analysis against your EC2 instances running Windows Server 2016. This is in addition to the other operating system types that were already available. So running Amazon Inspector in your environment is really a useful thing to do because it helps you in real time or near real time track what's going on in your environment and take any actions based upon the latest intelligence we have around risks that are out there. Speaking of security, AWS Trusted Advisor's S3 Buckets Permission Check is now free. So it's available to everyone. Previously, this was available to people who had business and enterprise support. This will check any S3 buckets that are publicly accessible due to ACLs or policies that allow read-write access for any user. Now, unless you have very good reason for your S3 bucket to be public, it probably shouldn't be. So this check allows you to track it really, really easily and is available for everyone. Question. Have you ever accidentally deleted an IAM role that was involved in auto scaling only to find that you broke your auto scaling? Well, This is something that happens from time to time. So Amazon EC2 Autoscaling now has support for what are called service-linked roles. Now service-linked roles is a new type of role that lets you easily delegate your permissions to AWS services. And you can read more in the show notes, but basically unlike a normal IAM role, you can't delete the service-linked role if it's in use by one or more of the EC2 auto-scaling groups. So this helps you avoid that accidental deletion of something you thought might not have been used and suddenly it is used. Uh, This will be enabled in all public AWS regions and AWS GovCloud. And so you can use it straight away. You don't have to do anything, but it's available to you. You can use it the way you've always used it without any change. Of course, if we're talking about auto scaling, they're also talking about load balancing and we're talking about multiple availability zones and all those cool things together. Network load balancer now supports cross zone load balancing. Now, what this means, it will distribute requests regardless of the availability zone with the support of cross zone load balancing. It allows you to route incoming request applications across those multiple availability zones, and it will look after the balancing at the back end. Sometimes you might not have an equal number of healthy targets in each of the AZs. This will allow you to balance across all of those appropriately, meaning that you don't have to do the monitoring and the fiddling that you used to have to do before to make sure that you get a nice even approach. It also avoids any disproportionately high inbound requests hitting certain targets rather than the other targets, because sometimes there was some caching of DNS information, et cetera, going on. Network load balancer will now arbitrate that for you and later evenly use all the resource you have behind that load balancer. Another service that takes advantage now of auto scaling is Amazon SageMaker. So Amazon SageMaker allows you to do a lot of machine learning, artificial intelligence, et cetera. It's a real sort of uh, democratization of that technology. And one of the nice things is that you can now specify the number and type of instances per endpoint to scale for the inferences you're going to run. Now, if your inference volume changes, so the number of analytics that's taking place by SageMaker, you can change the number and type of instance for each endpoint to accommodate that change. Now, this will happen automatically using auto scaling you configure the minimum and the maximum number of instances of your endpoint, and then you select the throughput per instance. Then Amazon SageMaker will monitor your models and adjust the instance count for you based upon the throughput you're trying to get to. This makes it much easier to manage these models in production and also lets you run them at reduced cost if you have a transitive or seasonal type workload as well. So this really brings a very familiar model of auto-scaling to something new for many people, which is of course, Amazon SageMaker. Speaking of SageMaker, uh, AWS DeepLens customers can now directly import their models from Amazon SageMaker into the AWS DeepLens. So this means that you can now deploy much more quickly using a single click rather than a multi-step workflow. So again, this is just about simplicity and integration and making it easier for moving from experimentation into actual implementation. So if you ever wanted to monitor your AWS account activity in real time? Well, good news is the real time insights on AWS account activity solution lets you monitor this account activity in real time. What it does is it automatically provisions all the services you need to record and visualize resource access and usage metric for your AWS accounts. Now this is a framework that lets you visualize those metrics in real time. And allows you to add new metrics rather than trying to do all the plumbing underneath. Of course, delivers as a cloud formation template. Basically, what it does is it deploys AWS Cloud Trail to log your account activity, provides uh, the use of Amazon Kinesis data analytics to compute these metrics in real time, and Amazon DynamoDB to store the computed data. It then also has a customizable dashboard that lets you visualize your activity in real time and it already supports up uh, more than 60 services and of course you can extend it yourself and take advantage of it. So links in the show notes to this but a very handy service if you want to get into that sort of stuff uh, in real time. Now, of course we already talked about... uh containers today, so it would be remiss of me not to talk about serverless technologies. And the good news is, is that AWS Serverless Application Repository is now generally available. Now, what this is, is a place where you can discover, deploy, and share serverless applications for a wide variety of use cases, which means it's easy to get started, and you can also contribute back. There are lots of things already in there, things like stream processing, media processing, logging, monitoring, Alexa skills, and a lot of publishers like Splunk, Datadog, Tensor, IoT, and a whole lot of serverless developers all around the world have deployed code into there. So you can take a look at it, see what's available to you. You can publish applications to it, and you can share it privately across your teams and organizations, or publicly with the developer community at large, or even customers that you might support on AWS. It's at no additional charge. You just pay for the AWS resources that you use. Now, the repository is available in US East Ohio. U.S. East, North Virginia, U.S. West, North California, U.S. West, Oregon, Asia-Pacific, Tokyo, Asia-Pacific, Seoul, Asia-Pacific, Mumbai, Asia-Pacific, Singapore, Asia-Pacific, Sydney, Canada Central, EU Frankfurt, EU Island, EU London, and South America, Sao Paulo. So lots of places for you to do that. Do you use desktops and do you use applications that run within desktops. If so, Amazon AppStream 2.0 is probably a technology you might have been interested in in the past. Well, some good news. It now supports copying of images across AWS regions. So this makes it even easier to deploy to a global audience because you can copy images from one location to another simply and easily with a bit of point and click, which is a nice way to do it. Another new nifty service integration is an integration between CloudWatch Events and AWS Batch. So now CloudWatch events can use AWS Batch as an event target. Now, what this means is that you can submit jobs into AWS Batch in response to things that have happened or been detected by Amazon CloudWatch events. Now, this is nice because this makes it very easy to kick off things that need to take place. And what AWS Batch does is allows you to run things at scale very, very effectively with minimum management. So a lot of customers have wanted to drive batch workloads based upon pre-existing conditions. So a file arriving or another set of processing completing, now you can do it automatically. And the nice thing is, is because AWS Batch is a fully managed service, it automatically provisions compute resources, optimizes workload distribution, and really figures out what you need to have in place to solve a particular problem rather than having you create it yourself. So it makes it pretty quick and easy to get things going, and you can automatically kick it off with CloudWatch events. A couple of quick updates for AWS Service Catalog. Now, AWS Service Catalog is commonly used by enterprises and systems integrators and managed service providers to create, govern, and manage a catalog of IT services. So it gives you a very predictable, pre-approved set of things that people can deploy. Now, this service now has a concept called auto tags. And auto tags are tags that identify the portfolio, product, and user that launched a particular product and are automatically applied by AWS service catalogs to provisioned resources. This means that you can easily track and see what's going on and is really useful for tying back into AWS budgets or any other sort of post-launch operations that you want to group by tags. The other nice thing is you can now brand your console to deliver a customizable user experience. So the ADB Service Catalog can be changed in terms of the logo and color specifications. You can upload a logo in PNG, JPEG or SVG. You can choose a primary color, an exit color. You can use a color picker. You can color to your heart's content. Now, I know I am terrible when it comes to choosing colors, so I'd recommend getting one of your UX folks involved and create a really nice... Service Catalog Dashboard. So let's talk a little bit about storage and about databases and a few other things that have happened in that space. Firstly, if you use the AWS Storage Gateway service, it now has an expanded set of CloudWatch events for File Gateway. This is really useful when you're automating hybrid cloud workflows. File Gateway allows on-premises applications to access objects in S3S files. The fact that you now have links into Amazon CloudWatch events means that you can figure out when a refresh cache operation has taken place between the local cache and S3. So if you're processing information or content in a hybrid architecture, this allows you to automate that process really really well. So a little new feature here that might fit into your own workflow. The other thing is that File Gateway can access S3 buckets configured as requester pays. Now, typically a bucket owner will pay the cost of downloading data, but with a requester Pays S3 bucket, the requester pays for requests and for data downloads. This is typically used when you're sharing public data sets, things like uh, Hubble Space Telescope Observations or USDA Aerial Photography, etc. This allows you now to deploy the file gateway in a model where you want the requester pays aspect to take place as well. So I've talked about storage and I did promise databases, so here they are. Amazon Redshift Spectrum now supports scalar JSON and also ION data types. Now, JSON, don't need to talk too much about, uh, but ION is interesting. It's a data serialization format developed by Amazon nearly a decade ago that gives you unambiguous semantics for long-term preservation of data. Now, the nice thing is the ION text format is a superset of JSON, thus any valid JSON document There's also a valid ION document. Now, the nice thing about Redshift Spectrum is allows you to query directly onto your S3 data lake without having to move data into Redshift. So it gives you really powerful query across large, large data sets without having to ingest it. The other database thing I mentioned is now Postgres 10 is supported in Amazon RDS. Now, this includes lots of new features, things like native table partitioning, improved parallelism in query execution, ICU collation report, column group statistics, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it will also have huge pages enabled by default as well. Now, something to be aware of is as of version 10, PostgreSQL no longer uses a three-part version number, and it's going to a two-part version number, which is more simple. So this particular release includes all patches from the Postgres 10.1 minor version. It also includes all the extensions that are supported in Amazon RDS for Postgres 9.6 and supports major version upgrades from Postgres 9.6 to Postgres 10. So this allows you to have a lot of flexibility in terms of when you take this particular new version and how you run it as well. So now support it so you can get the latest and greatest if you want to. Now, a couple more region expansions just to finish off the episode. I know it's been a long one, but there's been a lot to catch up on. And this hasn't been everything. It's just been the highlights. Uh, if you're a user of the AWS GovCloud in the US region, there is now a third availability zone available to you. So you can take advantage of that. And also, Adibus Snowball is now available in the Adibus Singapore region. And I know Adibis Snowball has been super popular with customers who want to move large amounts of data using the old-fashioned me- method of a bunch of hard disks on a truck. Now, that's being a little unkind. Uh, the Adibus Snowball is actually a highly secure, highly durable transport solution for moving larger amounts of data at m- much reduced cost compared to doing it over network capacity. Typically, network capacity is not big enough. It's very expensive. You can load 80 terabytes, 100 terabytes into a snowball or multiple snowballs. Still haven't figured out what the collective noun for a bunch of snowballs are. Uh, Maybe a snowman, I don't know. But essentially, you can move lots and lots of information very, very quickly. And it also supports importing data from a Hadoop distributed file system or HDFS. So you can have lots and lots of different data formats. So now, if you want to use a snowball, you can use it in US East, North Virginia and Ohio, US West, Oregon, North California, in AWS GovCloud US East, Canada Central, South America, Sao Paulo, EU, Ireland, Frankfurt and London, and Asia Pacific, Mumbai, Sydney and Tokyo. Wow. <laughs> So that was a long episode, lots and lots of stuff. Again, I hope there was something useful to you, something you might choose to use, something you might want to experiment with. Things are always changing and always updating and constantly driven by customer feedback. And so hopefully there's something in that list of changes that makes your job easier each and every day. Now, of course, on the podcast, we do love to get your feedback, at Amazon.com. Share it with your friends, tell others it's around. And as always, until next time, keep on building.